The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Lynette's Shrimp House, located in Highland Park. It's Metro Detroit's premier destination, serving juicy fried shrimp, fish, and wings, alongside soul food sides and new additions to the menu, like turkey tacos and desserts. Located at 13548 Woodward in Highland Park, just north of the Davison, Lynette's is open for takeaway, noon to 8, Tuesday and Thursday, noon to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, and noon to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Call now, get some Lynette's. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Happy Wednesday. Glad to have you with me on this somewhat rainy day. But watching that commercial before the show started makes me hungry, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about food and restaurants today. Now, you may have noticed in the last few days that the state of Michigan is easing some of the restrictions on restaurants. Starting on June 1st, 50% capacity will be allowed inside restaurants. And it looks like July 1st, if all goes the way that things are going with COVID numbers, that a lot of these restrictions may just go away. Mask requirements, uh, capacity restrictions, etc. Restaurants have been waiting a long, long time for this. This has been an incredibly challenging year for them uh, because of COVID and all the different things that have taken place, including for many restaurants not even being able to be open at all for months. Well, joining me today uh, to talk a little bit about this light at the end of the tunnel and what needs to happen to make sure things go smoothly, I have two restaurateurs with me, Stephanie Bird of The Block in Midtown Detroit and Godwin Ihantugi from Yum Village in the New Center area. Welcome to both of you. It's a pleasure to talk. Pleasure having us. Thank you. Well, like I said, you know, um, everybody's a little on edge still. We're not out of the woods yet, but but getting word that you're at least going to be able to increase capacity um, and hours could potentially change again. You're not going to have that 11 o'clock curfew. And Stephanie, in your case, that might be a little different than in Godwin's. But um, how, how, how much of a relief was it to get word that we are starting to turn the corner on this? Uh, Stephanie, we'll start with you on that one. Well, it's a huge relief. Um, we can finally generate some more money, some more revenue. We can get some things moving now. Um, I am more so excited about July 1st. So June 1st, easing of the restrictions will help, but we're looking forward to July 1st when we can really get things back to normal. And, and, oh, and Godwin, for you, I mean, um, obviously Young Village and, and, the, and the block are slightly different in terms of layout and size and things like that, but this has not been an easy year. I mean, you know, you had to readjust just about everything you did. You know what we we did because when all of this happened, you know, we were about to be coming in our, our year anniversary. Our year anniversary would have been last year in April, and we had just acquired a liquor license last year in February. So when the shutdown happened in March, we we literally went from having eighty five of our transactions happening in person to about eighty five percent of them happening uh, over the phone and online, uh, practically overnight. So. We're we're a different type of establishment now, uh, but all the same, uh, it really matters for us to have people being able to come inside so we can take advantage of that liquor license um, beyond selling cocktails to go. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I'm, did the cocktails to go thing ever really take off for people? Well, in my case, I know a lot of people were really unsure and hesitant about how it worked. You're like, okay, so I get to take this outside. No one's going to sweat me when I'm driving. Like, is there, <laughs> like you know, so I, I think that there there wasn't really a lot of trust around how how safe that was to actually be doing those outside of the restaurant. 
and, and, and that always seemed a little bit weird to me because it's not something we're used to, uh, you know, taking cocktails to go. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and that requires an entirely different level of preparation. You got to buy new containers, everything else uh, to make them secure, I suppose, um, so that you don't have those types of situations. I, Stephanie, I mean, it certainly seems as if a lot of this was just like, you know, let's just sort of figure it out as we go. Um, how difficult was that? Because you had guidance on what you could and could not do but no real instructions on how to go about doing what you could do. Initially, it was incredibly difficult because you're trying to navigate these new waters. But now I just feel like we're just trying to figure it out. Like we're able to, we'll adapt. Um, We might be doing it a little bit wrong, but there's (laughs) no one to tell us we're doing it wrong. So until then, I'll just continue to to do what I've been doing. Um, It's much easier now because we're a little more confident. Initially, we had no idea what was going on. Every day, it was a new challenge. Um, but but now I feel like we're pivoting. Just about all restaurants now have figured out how to, how to pivot. Well, I mean, I know that margins are tight in restaurants as it is. So when you're talking about 30% capacity, uh, how much of a difference is it going to make just going to 50% capacity uh, next week? It means we can at least break even. <laughs> which is huge for us at the block. We're tiny. We have 80, 80 seat capacity. So we're a small restaurant to begin with. So it's huge for us. Um, and of course, I'm looking forward to getting back to normal at 100% capacity, but 50% capacity means I'm able to keep the doors open, pay staff um, and not lose. Well, and, and Godwin, I'm guessing that that was, you know, a challenge for you as well. I mean, you know, again, keeping people on the payroll, there there were plans out there, you know, that people could take advantage of in the restaurant industry to keep themselves afloat while this was going on. Uh, how difficult was it to navigate those waters? Um, and, and is it something that you took advantage of? Well, so it, it's <laughs> so one thing that, that I will say about about all of this that, that's happened is that since it's happened, we've had a great opportunity to just shine some light on on just how tight and how um, interesting that this industry can be. Because a lot of folks don't really know the margins of restaurants. A lot of folks don't really know um, what product their restaurants are servicing. Like so far, when you're marketing, you have to like put your brand out there. You have to talk about the people, uh, where you get your food, you know, if you're paying sustainable wages and all that cool stuff. But because we're just trying to get people in the door, since we have this capacity limit, we've hadn't really had time to focus on that. But now it's a great opportunity for us to really continue to put that messaging out there uh, with this. So I'm a big advocate of the one fair wage. I think it's important to pay higher wages uh, to uh, restaurant workers. I think there's like probably some government uh, sustainability included in that for small businesses. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it is very difficult. We pay 15 an hour uh, starting at 12 for for trainees and we do a tip pool. We also do tuition reimbursement, paid time off. I do 401k after one year. I also do healthcare after one year as well. And even with all of these things, I still have found uh, difficulty uh, keeping uh, staff. And, you know, we do have a great core group, uh, but just the education and messaging behind what dollars mean and how dollars work is something that, that I think 
needs communication and education on both sides. <laughs> well, you know, Stephanie, I want to get your take on that too, because this has been a, a big topic of discussion um, since we started to see uh, things starting to reopen is the difficulty in getting staff, retaining staff um, and, and the discussion about wages, especially in, in the food industry. Um, you know, I'm listening to Godwin and the things that he's trying to do. He's starting a, a completely different discussion than what we're used to. Uh, some of the bigger chains are out there fretting that this is something that would bankrupt them or something like that. Uh, where do you come down on this? Um, I commend Godwin. I'm not there yet. So Godwin, you need to work on me a little bit. Like <laughs> I'm trying to get there. Um, but when I do the math and crunch the numbers, I'm just not there yet. Um, and maybe, maybe I'll get up to $15 an hour and maybe um, at least for the front of the house, maybe I'll get to $15 an hour. Back of the house is kind of in that 15 plus range. Um, but right now too, it's the wild, wild west in terms of like staffing and wages, they're signing bonuses in an industry that typically didn't have a signing bonus for a server or a cook. It's That's scary to me is that restaurants are desperate right now. So we're doing all types of things to get staffing in. So where does that leave the average restaurant? Right. Well, Who doesn't have that type of money to play with? I don't know what will happen over the next over the summer. I'm very anxious about what's going to happen over the summer, but I will eventually get to Godwin's Godwin stance and uh, get my staff up to fifteen dollars an hour. I love know, it. I'll be there one day. But these are these are you know mom and pop operations we're talking about here. This is you know you don't have the big corporate backing uh, that some of the big chains do that you're competing for talent with. Um, that uh, do you do you find that um, there has been enough effort on the part of, of government in particular to make sure that businesses like yours survive this pandemic. Oh, he, no. <laughs> no. Stephanie says no. Godwin. So I'm a, I'm a walk, I'm a walk waters on that one, but, I, but here, here's what I have to say on that. All right. So typically within the restaurant industry, you're going to keep somewhere between 20% and, and 3%. That, that's that's kind of average. And your your food costs might be 15%. And in some cases, they might be 50 or 60. I, I don't I don't know how that works. But in, in our case, we keep a flat uh, 25 to 28% food costs, which I think is pretty good considering the fact that we, like, sell import goods. We're an African-Caribbean uh, uh, store. Um Despite all of all of that, if the government uh, would give a focus on businesses that are, are in empowerment zones, for example, or, or businesses that are are um, essentially new, uh, give us some payroll tax relief or, or something like that. I think even simple things like that just go a long way into helping. You know, like whereas right now you've got folks who are taking out loans that. They, they don't even ask you questions for and then knocking on your door if you didn't get your forgiveness right. I, I don't know. It just feels like I'm put in a position where I have to do these things that that could uh, get me in trouble. I don't know. So the government <laughs> definitely should do more for businesses that are in municipalities, city areas that are impoverished or underserved uh, because that helps build up, you know, at, since I've been growing up, I've been told restaurants are anchor positions or restaurants are always the bread and butter of a placemaking initiative. Yet, you know, in this case where restaurants are all anchored all over the place, I don't see any any uh, goals in fortifying the anchors within these cities. 
Ah, well, Stephanie, I want to get your take on that. I mean, uh, like I said, not easy to navigate this stuff, to get the loans necessary. If you even decide to apply for them, Uh, a lot of companies just said they gave up. They just said, you know, I'm, I I don't know what to do here and, and just bailed. And I don't like seeing that. And I'm hoping that we don't have too many more casualties of this. Yeah, I get it. I completely understand. We have another family owned restaurant, which has been around for 30 years. So luckily we had some connections in the baking industry and we were able to push through with PPP, the restaurant revitalization fund. So we just kind of happened to have the resources because we've been around for 30 plus years. But I understood how people could give up because we got frustrated the whole along the whole ride. You know, it's been quite it's been a roller coaster, honestly. So I can understand why many restaurants would give up. It's unfortunate. And also there's so many loopholes with the PPP. I mean, <laughs> we found out, you know, we jumped at it and then you find out, well, whoa, 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 it's no way possible. Like, what are you going to do about this forgiveness? And then there's a restaurant revitalization fund, which is underfunded. So it seems like every time the government <laughs> wants to help us, we end up, we, we just end up in worse and possibly a worse situation. I think there'll be plenty of people I know in the restaurant industry are trying to apply for forgiveness right now. And they don't know what they're going to do if they have to repay these these um, these loans. So the the government can do so much more. I'm talking about um, city, state, federal. There's so much more to do. And I agree. Restaurants really should be a staple of the community. So much can revolve around a restaurant and community. I mean, we can really change many Detroit neighborhoods by starting with restaurants. I mean, there's so many people in the city that are passionate about it. There, I mean, there's so many um, I feel like restaurant Detroit could really be a rest, a hospitality hub. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had to do more to support these restaurants, including us. You know, I, I, one of the interesting things that happened at the beginning of this is that, you know, we went out of our way. Uh, my girlfriend and I went out of our way to, to patronize restaurants and, and do takeout from a lot of different places. In fact, I've, I've been to both of your establishments uh, since the, the closure. Um, and, and, you know, we discovered a lot of new places that way. Did you find that you got in some new customers that might not otherwise maybe drive down to to, to Yum Village, for instance, that decided to do a DoorDash kind of experiment with it, try it for the first time? Yeah, no, you know what? Uh, yes, we have had uh, quite a new a, a new amount of of folks that have have come by the restaurant. We, we're typically seeing uh, new people every day, uh, and we've also embraced a lot of new technologies. You know, I, I promise you. I get at least 10 people a day who come in and they're like, I saw you on TikTok or, you know, or <laughs> I saw you or I heard you on the radio or something, you know? So I, I, I do think that because a lot more folks are, are sitting at home and, and, and um, being around the internet and digital technology, we're seeing a lot. And also there've been a lot of just changes overall in buyer behavior patterns. For example, I, I know that, before the pandemic, more people ordered during lunch and, and breakfast time, whereas now post-pandemic, uh, I've seen uh, anecdotally speaking and also measurably uh, through statistics that people order more now uh, closer towards the evening time as well. So even these types of things have, have adjusted how how we operate uh, in general. Well, well, Stephanie, I want to ask you this because, you know, you have uh, a lot of pretty good. I mean, seating is a big deal. Indoor dining is a big deal for you. And, and the people that had more space outdoors were able to do a little bit more than perhaps you were. Um, but I want to know what the attitude has been from the people who've been coming in lately. How are things going? And um, are people excited to be back? Oh, absolutely. People are excited for the food, the drinks. They're excited about the connections at the block. Um, 
most of my staff are going to know the regulars' names. They're just excited to connect again. Um, and we're excited to have folks back. And we are opening our outdoor patio. That is coming. So. Ah, really? So, so the city relented and let you do it, huh? So actually last year they let us do it. Now patio is on the sidewalk. So I do need to explain that to folks. But, um, you know, we dress it up. It's still an outdoor experience. Um, and we we're able to extend it down in front of the garden theater, which we have as well. So we're able to expand it at times. Um, and it's much needed. There's still plenty of people who don't feel comfortable eating indoors yet, which, you know, we want to accommodate as many folks as possible. So the outdoor patio, not today because it's raining, but tomorrow will be open and for the weekend. You know, it seems that this is one of those things, those features that maybe sticks around after this, right? Uh, it certainly seems as if people have gotten used to dining outdoors, especially in the winter with the heaters and everything else. I think our whole attitude about what we'll accept in terms of seating has changed a little bit as a result of this. Am I wrong? Or are people willing to tolerate something that they wouldn't have a couple of years ago when it comes to, uh, you know, where they're seated in a restaurant or outdoors? Absolutely. Yeah. I think people are more flexible and accommodating and understanding that we're understaffed, that we're trying to make things work, capacity restrictions. Um, and people just want to be outside in some way, shape or form. So I think people are a lot more flexible, which I'm grateful for. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the flexibility uh, and, and general acceptance has increased. You know, like when we started letting people um, back in, I think when it was uh I've moved to 25% capacity, you know, a couple, a couple things that happened. Like we, I, I was bussing tables myself and, you know, I, I had a moment where I was like, man, you know, I, I haven't like cleaned up after someone in over a year, you know, like I, I don't know what this feels like, you know, but I can say it was definitely an entirely different experience post pandemic versus pre pandemic. You know, there, there was no human element to service workers <laughs> before the pandemic hit. Whereas now I think people are realizing, you know, that we're all in this together in a sense, you know, uh, people are understaffed and underworked. And so there, there's generally a, a, a mutual accommodation uh, going on on both sides. Well, you know, I, I hate to suggest that there are silver linings that come out of a difficult period like this, but I'm assuming that you both have learned something about your businesses and your customers um, that you're going to carry on forward from this. I mean, what are some things that have happened as a result of this last year that you're going to keep doing? Um, well, I'm taking a page from Godwin's book. He is, taught me some things and he probably doesn't even know this, but I really want to make sure that we are much more community-based. Um, it's something that we did not focus on before all of this. And now I realize it's not all about the dollar, right? It's really about uplifting my staff, being, um, being a part of the community, giving back to the community, really shifting gears at the end of the day. It's not just, um, was I profitable? Like, what did I add? What did I bring to the city? How did I make the city a little bit better today? Um, and that's something that management, garden theater, floods, those are all questions we're asking and that we we just didn't have the time to ask before. And so I'm glad that that for us, that is the silver lining, that we're shifting our focus. It's not always about the dollar. What about you, Godwin? Well, you know, I, I so I, I'm definitely a big community person. And so um, I, I have been more so focused on on the dollar now. <laughs> I was like, we, we need dollars. <laughs> you know, how do we, how do we get these dollars in place? So um, we have been 
really putting ourselves in a position where we embrace technology uh, just simply because of the uh, statistics that we've seen. Like uh, over 40% of uh, businesses of color uh, permanently closed last year, yet I've also seen some of the largest uh, online sales growth numbers of companies uh, to date uh, because of the pandemic. And so uh, trying to align ourselves with positioning for that, you know, so uh, getting our our products out there, doing uh, this online sales thing and, and really focusing and doubling down on alternative revenue streams uh, while still being community people. Well, you know, and, and I'll tell you one thing that I appreciate that I've noticed at the places that I've gone to is like the, the cleanliness rules that they put in place. These places are cleaner uh, than I've ever seen restaurants <laughs> in my life. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it seems like we have learned a lot about that. Um, and, and that's something that might be uh, carried forward. I, I, I'm not sure. Is that yeah, I mean, we, we disinfect every sunday we do like a deep clean and then we also have a disinfecting team uh come out and do do the sprays um and you are you are correct you know because i i typically like to go to a restroom first before i get food from their establishment or uh, or i just keep a glove on me just do some tests but you know <laughs> now we don't really need to do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> okay so we know that godwin's got the, he's testing your restaurants everybody when he goes into your place so just keep that well, in mind come by and test ours because we have a very clean restroom godwin so come on by come, come um, to the block tomorrow five to eight i'm gonna be yeah. there for the happy hour come check yeah. it out all right. Yes, absolutely. Come check it out. Um, but what's changed for us is we have a cleaning crew come in every day. Um, they come in for an hour every day and we um, do spray sanitation when we're closed Monday and Tuesday. So we definitely pay everyone definitely pays more attention to cleanliness and it needs to stay absolutely for us and everyone else in the industry. That's a good thing. Well, well, lastly, just sort of want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you're planning to do as we get ready to reopen. Uh, you know, you've got the happy hour that uh, that uh, Godwin was just mentioning happening at the block. Um, so are there things that you're going to do to welcome your customers back? Yeah, we um, we're doing uh, music and uh, activities uh, programming. So uh, Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, we'll be doing uh, guest bartenders uh, to like utilize our, our liquor license uh, every Thursday uh, from five to eight. We'll be doing book reading happy hours, focusing on uh, artists of color uh, and doing book readings. Uh, Fridays we'll be doing uh, live music and then monthlies we'll be bringing back our uh, djembe drum cypher. So we do these cool djembe drum circles where people can drop some spoken word or, or do some poetry as well as all the other cool stuff, Young Village merchandise, Young Village brands, vending machines, and our, our location expansions uh, to be determined. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Good. What about you, Steph? Nice. Well, the block has the best happy hour in town, four to seven <laughs> <laughs> weekdays, four to seven. But we're going to focus on expanding our hours. So we're going to expand our hours on the weekend to 10 p.m. We had previously closed at eight o'clock. So we're excited about that Friday and Saturday. We're hoping to open back up for Sunday brunch. Currently, we brought back Saturday brunch. So we're just expanding our offerings. You know, we've had we get calls and emails um, daily. When are you guys going to bring back this? When are you guys going to bring back that? So we're focused on bringing back what folks love. Um, and then we're going to take it from there. 
Well, very good. And and I, I appreciate the fact that you were both willing to give me some time. I know you've got work to do uh, and as you get ready for all these big changes. But uh, Stephanie, thank you so much. Uh, Godwin, we appreciate it. Again, Stephanie's at uh, The Block, which is in Midtown, right next to the Garden Theater, um, really close to Great Lakes Coffee there. If you know where that is in Midtown Detroit, that's right at the corner. Uh, it's a great place. I've been there many, many times. And also Godwin, of course, of the Yum Village up in New Center. Uh, and again, potentially more locations. Or Were you hinting that there's expansion or or is it just expansion of the current site? Oh, I think we lost. We we definitely are looking to expand from our current site. Okay, very good. Well, we look forward to the announcement of when that's going to happen. But thank you both for hanging in there for this last year. We know it's been incredibly difficult. And uh, all of us, I think, are really, really looking forward to being able to go to restaurants and not think about this stuff anymore and just enjoy the excellent food and service you're going to get at either of these establishments. Stephanie Godwin, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I really do appreciate all of your support. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, it's important that you share it, that you rate this podcast, and that, of course, you subscribe to this podcast. It all helps. And the more sponsors we get, the more interviews we can do, the more shows I can put together. And I certainly do uh, want to make sure that you are enjoying what you're listening to. So if you have suggestions, you can reach out to me. The Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. Again, that's the Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. You can get through to me that way. It's very, very easy to do. And you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, just about anywhere. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in the city. We're asking you to support independent local journalism by joining our $3 a month membership. By joining, you become eligible to win prizes, including tickets for sporting events and gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Just go to our website and click the ad at the top or go to www.deadlinedetroit.com membership.